John chapter number 4, John chapter 4, and we were in John 4 last week. This is uh, kind of a continuation of the message that we heard last week in regard to biblical worship. And in John 4, we find Jesus meeting with this Samaritan woman at the well. We understand that that was a counter-cultural thing for him to do. And there in that place, he would talk to her about her soul and need for salvation. He referred to himself as the living water and, uh, and, and really ultimately trying to show her her need for him as the living water. Well, in the course of that conversation, she wants to bring up the issue of religion and worship and where they worship and what tradition says. And so Jesus here teaches a very brief and yet very powerful lesson on the subject of worship. What we're here to do today, we would say we are here to worship the Lord. At least I hope you're here to worship the Lord. We've come together and we even refer to this service as our worship service, our morning worship service. And that's what we are here to do. We are here to worship the Lord. But as we talked about last week, there is such a thing as right worship. There's also wrong worship. And Jesus used the word must in reference to worship. And so that tells us that there is, there is something that God expects of us. There is a certain way in which God expects us to worship. And we talked about that last week. But today, uh, I want to read this passage of Scripture again and, and just look at it a little bit deeper maybe than we did last week. So if you're in John chapter 4, I'll invite you to stand for the reading of the Scripture. We're going to begin reading in verse number 19. John 4, verse 19, the Bible says, The woman, that's this Samaritan woman, saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, this morning, I pray that you would help us to see the truth that you have for us here, Lord, to recognize um, not just what it says and even what it means, but Lord, how it applies in, in this day and age, right here in this place today as we seek to worship you as we consider what it means to worship in spirit and in truth, I pray that you would help us to do that, that our hearts would be fully engaged in what you have for us today. I pray, Lord, that you would just control uh, my mind, my mouth, and my heart, Lord, that you would use me to be able to speak forth truth to your people. And I just pray that you would have your perfect will and way among us. Lord, I don't know the needs of the people that sit here. I don't know their spiritual needs. I don't know what's going on in their hearts because I can't see the heart. 
But Lord, you know every single one of us, and you know our thoughts from afar off. You know every word in our tongue. And Lord, as you look down upon us today and you see the needs in our lives, I just pray, Lord, that you would, through your word and by your spirit, do the work that needs to be done in our hearts to change us, to conform us to the image of Christ. Help us to be transformed today by your word. I pray that if there's someone here that's not saved, they don't know Christ as Savior, that today would be the day of their salvation. And for those of us, Lord, who are your children, who are saved, I pray, Lord, that you would just help us to grow to be more like you, and Lord, to be pur purposeful in our worship of you, seeking to do that which is pleasing not to us, but to you. And we ask this now in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So we, we mentioned last week this statement that Jesus made, God is a spirit, they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And one of the things that we talked about in regard to that was that <clears throat> because God is the object of worship and, <clears throat> and he is above all and before all, that he has the right and the authority and power to define what worship is. And that word must indicates that there, there is a requirement. In other words, we don't come to God on our terms, we come to him on his terms. And what he said was that this worship that is pleasing to him is to be in spirit and in truth. We're going to consider today what that means. But I want you to just be reminded briefly that what he said here, before he said that God must be worshipped in spirit and in truth, is that he said that God is a spirit. In other words, though the word therefore doesn't appear here, that's what it means. God is a spirit, therefore he must be worshipped in spirit and in truth. And, and Jesus here began to teach her about who God is because our worship of God needs to be rooted in an understanding of who he is. And it must be consistent with his nature. God is a spirit, therefore he requires spiritual worship, not just fleshly worship. Not just an outward ritualistic type of worship, but spiritual worship. But also God is true. And because God is true, he requires worship that is in truth, according to the truth. God is holy. And therefore his expectation is that we would be holy as we seek to come to him. You see, if we want to meet the Lord, if we want to be pleasing to the Lord, we have to meet him on his terms recognizing who he is. Hebrews 11, verse 6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. If I were to ask you today, what is the, the one thing that you could do today that would please God? I wonder how many people would think of something that they could do with the works of their own hands. Maybe if I give a bunch of money to the Lord, if I, if I write a big check to missions... Uh, maybe God will be pleased with me in that way. If I go out into the, the, the community here and I find a bunch of poor people and homeless people and, and I provide a meal for them and give them a gospel tract and tell them about Christ, maybe that will be pleasing to God. If I go do this or go do that or I serve God in this way, maybe he'll be pleased with me. But God says without faith it is impossible to please him. In other words, it's not just something that we do outwardly that is pleasing to God, but that it really has to do with our connection to Him as God, as a spirit. We are to come to Him on His terms spiritually. 
in our hearts. And so when he says this here, they that worship him must worship in spirit, he's talking about sincerity. Our worship of God, number one, must be sincere. You know, I think it's entirely possible that we could come to church and we could get up on a Sunday morning and go through the motions of whatever it is you do, <clears throat> wake up and get ready for the day and put on a nice pair of clothes and pick up your Bible and walk out the door to church. You could come here, put a smile on your face and shake people's hands and sing the songs for the top of your lungs and open the Bible and read along as the Word of God is preached and taught and to leave here having never really worshipped God. That's entirely possible. Now, I know that to be true because of things that the Bible says, but let me tell you this, I also know that from experience. I know that there have been many times in my life where I have come to church and I've gone through the motions and done things and I've even given my tithe check for the week and I've, and I've uh, gone out on, on a Thursday night or a Saturday morning visitation and knocked on doors and passed out tracts and talked to people and I've run bus routes and, and even probably at times taught a Sunday school class or preached where my heart was not fully engaged in that which I was really doing and I could have said I was worshiping God because of the outward things I was doing but those things do not equate to worship. Worship is from the heart. And so when it says here that we are to worship Him in spirit and in truth, Joshua said, in Joshua 24, he said that we are to serve the Lord in sincerity and in truth. In other words, that God is not only interested in our outward actions, but that God is also interested in what is going on inside of our hearts. I want you to know today, and I think most of you do, but I want to remind you, that as you sit here in church today and you do the things that you have done and are doing, sitting here, listening, Bible's open, listening to what's going on, God looks down, he doesn't just see the outside. I can see you sitting there, where your eyes are. I, I have a, a general sense of who's maybe engaged more than others, but ultimately I don't know. I don't know what's really going on, but God looks down here and he doesn't see that. He sees what's real inside of your heart. He knows. God knows everything about you, and He knows when you're worshiping Him, if it's in spirit or in truth. I want you to hold your place here in John 4, if you would, because we're going to come back. But I want you to go back to the Old Testament, to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter number 16. In 1 Samuel 16, the Lord has sent the prophet Samuel to anoint the next king over Israel. He's come to the house of Jesse, the father of David, <clears throat> to look among his sons for who would be the next king. And I want you to notice verse number 6. It says, and it came to pass, 1 Samuel 16, 6. It came to pass when they were come, that's Jesse's sons, that he looked on Eliab, that's the oldest son of Jesse, and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Now, just stop for a moment. This, this man was a prophet. He's a wise man. He was in tune with God. He'd been preaching the word of God. He'd been leading the king of Israel, 
according to the word of God for all this time. And he comes to the house of Jesse and he sees the eldest son of Jesse, Eliab, and immediately thinks this man has to be the one that God has chosen. Why did he think that? Well, I don't know exactly, probably because he was the firstborn. And in that society, in that culture, there was great value placed upon the firstborn uh, in a family. Very possibly because this man was big and strong and probably talented and well-spoken. There were a lot of things that Eliab had going for him. And when Samuel saw him, he said, that guy is the guy. But notice what the Lord said, verse 7, but the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him for the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. There have been many times that I have looked at people and seen what I thought was a genuineness about them. I saw that they were talented and had great potential, and I looked at them and I thought, boy, that, God's going to use that person. And how many times does someone like that, you think, man, God is going to use that person because of all of these things. You see those people just wash out. And then God, it seems like, turns around and he picks and chooses the most unlikely of all candidates. Who did Jesus choose to be his disciples? Not the Pharisees, not the powerful and the mighty, but fishermen and tax collectors and the blue-collar people of the day that weren't all that well-respected. You see, we look on the outside, but God's not looking on the outside. He's looking on the heart. And when it comes to our worship, and we're in his house today, supposedly because we want to meet with him, but he's not just looking at what I'm looking at. He, he's not looking at your clothes and he's not looking at your hair. And he's not looking at the smile on your face. He's looking beyond all of that. And he sees what's really going on on the inside. Now don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that external things don't matter. Because they do. But external things only matter secondarily. In other words, I can put a smile on my face, but if I'm not right with God in my heart, it does me no good. But if I'm right with God in my heart, it's probably going to show up on my face. You know what I mean? But God looks beyond that exterior, and he sees what's going on inside. Go with me to the book of Isaiah as we make our way back toward the New Testament. Isaiah <clears throat> chapter number 29 Isaiah 29, we, we find a statement by the prophet Isaiah that later on Jesus would quote in reference to the Pharisees. But here's what the Lord told Isaiah to say. Chapter 29, verse number 13. <clears throat> it says, Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. 
What's he saying? There are people <clears throat> that on their lips, with their lips, with their mouth, they praise God. They draw near to God. They worship God. But he says, their heart is far from me. I want to ask you today, do not answer me, answer God. You're here, and with your lips you draw nigh to the Lord. By, by your very presence here today, you, you are making a statement. I want to worship God. I want to know God. I want to draw near to Him. Let me just ask you, what does He see when He looks in your heart? Is it real? Is it sincere? Do you truly desire to know Him, to please Him, to worship Him, to exalt Him? And notice he said that these people, they've removed their heart far, far from me. He said, their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. In other words, the, the, their, their worship of me is according to man's ideas and opinions, not according to my word and what I've told them. They are externally, outwardly doing the right things but their heart isn't right with God. Can I ask you today, is your heart right with God? Or are you distant from Him? I don't know, but He does. So Jesus is saying here, listen, to this woman, you, you, you're confused. You think that your worship is tied to your tradition and what you were taught. And it's tied to this location, this mountain where you're worshiping. But you don't even know who you're worshiping. Your heart is so far from God that you don't even know what you're doing. Folks, we could go from, from one church building to the next around here today in this community and find hundreds, thousands of people that are going through the motions of worship, but they don't know God. And we know that's the case in churches that aren't preaching the truth, and there are people that are just deceived and into believing that they're better off by being in these places, but it can be just as true in a Bible-believing Baptist church. It can be just as true of you and me that we're here, but we're not really here. My wife has told me at different times, maybe I've had a lot on my mind and just different things going on, burdens I'm carrying, that I, I can be in the presence of the family. And she'll, she'll say, you're here, but you're not really here. You're here, but you're not with us. Your mind is on other things. Your heart is somewhere else. And, and as a father, that, you know, that's not a good thing. And we need to seek to be engaged when we're with our family. But listen, when we come to the house of the Lord and our mind is consumed with other things. Listen, I'm not a long-winded preacher most of the time. You're welcome. But I, I do think that it's a really sad day when, when we're in church and the, the thing we're most concerned about is the clock rather than what is the Spirit of God doing? What am I doing afterwards? If we're more concerned, listen, and I say this as lovingly as I can, if you don't want to be here, you don't have to be, and there are lots of doors that you can leave. And I'm not saying that to be rude. I'm just saying you're not held captive here, but if you're here, you ought to want to be here. Don't come to the house of the Lord out of obligation and duty. Come because you want to know Him and you want to worship Him and you want to be pleasing to Him. Serve Him in sincerity and in truth. Because He's not just looking for ritual. 
He's not looking for the outward motions that, he, that, that you think you're supposed to do. He's looking for hearts that are truly seeking Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit. Is your heart engaged? Is it right with God? Let's go back to John chapter 4. We worship in sincerity. Our worship of God must be sincere, but number two, it's not only to be sincere, it's to be scriptural. He said, you worship, you know not what. Verse 22, verse 24, he says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. There are those who might read through this and say, okay, so God is looking for hearts that sincerely want to know him, want to please him, want to worship him, and my heart is to do that which is right in the sight of the Lord. I want to, I want to worship God, and so since I am sincere, God must be pleased. And they forget that God said true worship is not only sincere, but it's also scriptural. It's also according to truth. There are lots of people who think that, you know, if I, as long as I'm sincere, God doesn't really care about how I worship Him. And I've heard people say that before. You know, I can worship God anywhere. I don't have to be in church to do it. Well, that's true. To a degree, it's true. You ought to worship God every day, wherever you are. And I've known a lot of people who say, I can worship God from the tree stand or from the bass boat. Okay, sure you can. And you ought to. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Everything you do is to be for the glory of God. You ought to try to worship Him in everything, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do. Do all to the glory of God. Yes, you can worship God anywhere. But have you ever stopped to consider that God has certain expectations of what worship should look like? And one of the things that He's called us to do is come to the house of the Lord, gather together, as his people and worship him together? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching, Hebrews 10 says, God's called us to come and worship him in his house, and not just to say, okay, as long as I'm gathered together with other believers and we're sincere in our hearts, then whatever we do is pleasing to God. Folks, I'm just going to say that there are an awful lot of places that call themselves churches where there is an awful lot of nonsense going on. And there is fleshliness and worldliness and carnality. And I don't care how sincere someone might be in their heart. Those things don't please God. God said worship must be according to truth. He also said in John chapter 17, he said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So if we want to know what God expects according to worship, we'd find it on the pages of the Word of God. What does true worship look like? It is not just our own flesh coming and saying, okay, I, I, I sincerely want to please God, so, so let me just do this, whatever seems right to me, I'm going to go ahead and do that, and God has to accept it because I'm sincere. That is not the case. Galatians chapter 5 says that there's a battle between the flesh and the spirit. It says, the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And then he says, these things are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. And folks, there is a major problem when we try and mix the worship of God with our own carnality and our flesh. 
And we need to be very careful about that. They're contrary to one another. They're not complementary. God's not looking for our carnality, our own wisdom in what God might expect. And I want to show you an example of that again back in the Old Testament, 2 Samuel chapter number 6. 2 Samuel 6. David has now become king over Israel. And one of the first things that he wants to do is to bring the Ark of the Lord, the Ark of the Covenant, into Jerusalem, where it can be, Jerusalem was the, the, the political center of Israel. It was the place that the king ruled and reigned from. And David said, rightly so, that the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, ought to be in the middle of Jerusalem. That's where the tabernacle needs to be set up. That's where the Ark of the Covenant needs to be. Center place. Just a side note, wouldn't it be wonderful if we would take the Lord and His Word and put it in Washington, D.C., our political center of the country, and put Him first? That's what David was trying to do. By the way, this is a noble thing. It was the right thing to do. David, as the king, says, I want to honor the Lord. But here's what he did. He took a new cart and he put the Ark of the Covenant on that cart. Now you say, well, what's wrong with that? I mean, it's a new cart. He's, it's being pulled by some animals that had never had a burden on him before. What's wrong with that? He's trying to honor the Lord. Well, see, God previously in the law had said that the Ark of the Covenant was only to be carried in one way. And it was by certain people, it was the Levites, who were to carry it upon their shoulders... The staves, the, the, the sticks would go through the rings on the ark and they would carry it on their shoulders. That was the way that God said it was to be moved. Certain individuals in a certain way. Well, David gets all excited. I'm going to bring the ark of the covenant back to Jerusalem. What does he do? He brings it, puts it on a cart. By the way, you read a few chapters earlier and you find that he got that idea from the Philistines. That was what they did. So he says, I'm going to put it on a new cart. Verse number... 2 of chapter 6 here in 2 Samuel, and David arose, went with all the people that were with him from Baal to, uh, of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even on harps and on psalteries and on timbrels and on cornets and on cymbals. So, man, they're, they're moving the ark of the covenant. They're praising the Lord. And there's beautiful music. It says, and when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it for the oxen shook it. Think about this. It's on a cart being pulled by oxen on dirt roads that probably had potholes and all kinds of stuff. And they hit a pothole. Those oxen shook the cart. And now the Ark of the Covenant, <laughs> the most important piece of the tabernacle, 
the presence of God right there is what it symbolizes. It's tipping and about to fall. So what does Uzzah do? Well, like any well-meaning good person, he puts forth his hand to stabilize it, just to catch it, keep it from falling. <clears throat> and notice verse number 7, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error, and he died by the ark of God. Wow. God killed him. Now that's, a, that's an extreme example of someone who is being sincere and trying to do the right thing, by the way, for the right reason, but going about it the wrong way. And God said, I can't have any part of this. It says, verse number 8, David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah. Verse number 9, David was afraid of the Lord that day. And said, how shall the ark of the Lord come to me? Maybe if David had had some fear of the Lord before this. And bothered to ask, Lord, how do you want me to go about this? This would have never happened. David was doing the right thing for the right reason. He was sincere as could be. But it's possible to be sincerely wrong. And folks, I'm just saying that if we are going to worship in a way that is pleasing to the Lord, we're to do so on His terms according to His word and according to truth. The question today isn't <clears throat> whether you leave here and are pleased with the worship. It's easy to critique. Boy, I, I wish the pastor would have said this. I wish the music was more like this. I wish the lighting was more like this. I wish that we had this program or that program. The question isn't really what you think or what I think. The question is when we leave here today, was God pleased with what he saw? Did he see in my heart sincerity, a desire to draw nigh to God and to seek him? And did he see someone who was trying and striving by the grace of God to please him according to his word and not according to my own wisdom? Folks, I think most of us here want to be true worshipers. That's what Jesus called them. The true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And he said, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God desires this right kind of worship. He's looking for those who will, will seek him in sincerity and truth. I think we desire that today. And I just want to challenge you. As you are here as an act of worship, where's your heart? Are we fully engaged in what God is doing? And are we putting priority on what God wants rather than what we want? True worshipers, worship that God desires is that which is according to the Spirit and truth. Would you stand with me today and we'll pray together. Father, Would you help us today, please, Lord? We, we are 
sinful people, unworthy, to come before you and to, to worship you and to offer you anything. But Lord, you invited us and called us and even commanded us to worship you. And would you help us to do so the right way? Lord, would you help our, us to make sure our hearts are right before you and that our worship is according to your word and not according to our own wisdom. Lord, would you bless even in this invitation time as we take a few minutes to just still our hearts before you and let the Holy Spirit work within us and speak to us. Lord, would you help us to be honest? Help us not to be distracted or, or self-deceived, but honest before you and allowing your Holy Spirit to search our hearts and see what is true about us. Lord, whatever our needs are today, I pray that you would help us to get those needs met as we meet with you here at this altar. We ask this now in Jesus' name, amen.